Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. We're continuing our series this morning on being citizens of heaven. This is part four. I've entitled it, Strangers in a Really Strange Land. Strangers in a really strange land. In fact, I meant to tell Susan, I forgot that we want to put in parentheses after it, dual citizenship, which will come closer to, you know, a whole rounded thing. But our golden text here is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, where Paul says, And he, meaning Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both, both Jews and Gentiles, have our access in one spirit to the Father. Can you say amen? So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Let's say that together. Fellow citizens with the saints. I hate that. Saints. It should be holy ones. We are the holy ones. And that is, let me tell you something. That is, that's what it actually says. And that is a very pregnant, theologically pregnant term. You are fellow citizens with the holy ones and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstones. We are citizens of heaven. Everybody say amen. First, notice that we are no longer strange, well, no, strangers. If you were strange when you came to Jesus, you were strange afterward. I mean, you know, the new birth doesn't make people that are a little bit weird less weird. At least not right away. And we are no longer strangers and aliens. There is a lot of glib talk in the world around us about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. But those who are not born again are strangers and aliens to God and to the kingdom. And we live in the, 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 the culture that you could call Strangeland. And it is becoming increasingly hostile toward God, toward the truth, and toward the holy ones each and every day. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll back up a little bit, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in your flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. All this stuff about, you know, the multiple paths to heaven, Multiple things you can do, etc. Whatever you heard on Oprah. It's all wrong. Jesus said, I am the only door. There's one way to heaven. Amen. How many of you remember back in the 70s, the Baptist churches were doing that thing one way and we you, you, they had, you know, they had the, the one way hand, the sticker that you could put on your car. Anyway, uh, there was also a honk if you love Jesus sticker. And the thing of it was, people would put them on and forgot they did it. You pull up next to them and go, beep, beep. And they go, what? Oh, you know, but I do, you could do this to them. People go by and they do it back. Oh, bring it back, Lord. All right. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded. Let's say that word together. Excluded from the commonwealth. And the word that's translated commonwealth there literally means citizenship. Excluded from citizenship of Israel. We are citizens of the spiritual Israel. The Israel of God. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Look at this. Having no hope. And without God in the world. 
That is a dire situation. And we have got to be, if we are going to go through the next few years effectively, when with understanding of what's happening around us, the people that are around us, the things that are happening in our government, in our education system, in our, uh, you know, all of that, we have to understand that, that these, that there is, there are the saints and the ain'ts. And we just, you know, and I realize that exclusivity is a, is a wordy dirt, <laughs> is a dirty word today because, you know, in, in today's woke culture, when but the fact is you and I do people no favors by soft peddling the truth, what God actually says, we are now citizens and we're not just citizens, we are members of God's household. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about what probably the first message. We spoke about being a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, his own possession. For me to say that today immediately will cause some people to say that I'm an elitist. I am an exclusionary. I am discriminatory. And I am a racist, but I am not saying those things. The God of creation said those things. The scripture says those things. I, God is not angry with people. He's angry with sin, but he's not angry with people. But the fact that people would rail against anyone who would quote scripture betrays the enmity and the animus that is manifesting itself in ever increasing ways against the against Christ and against the church. Here again, we are all everyone who's born again is called to ministry. We don't have some who are called to ministry. Not everybody's called to the fivefold, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher, but all of us are called to the ministry. In fact, one of the last things Jesus said before he left this earth, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And that didn't just include them and exclude us. No, it's all of us. Both in Jerusalem and all Judea. How do I know that it included us? Because it says, even to the remotest part of the earth, which would be impossible for them to fulfill. Just physically and chronologically. It's a destiny to which we are called. Now, contrary to what you may hear some places, everybody still loves the pastor. Say amen. amen. We, we made sure that, you know, the security met you at the door to make sure you brought no rocks or bricks in the door with you. Okay. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. This is the tail end of Matthew. This is the so-called Great Commission. Came up to them, uh, came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, not converts, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching, training, instructing them to observe, meaning to do all that I commanded you. These people who will tell you that the Gospels are not for today, that they are Old Testament books and we don't need to get in there, seem to have forgotten that Jesus left instructions with the apostles to uh, teach us to do all of the things that he commanded. And lo, not like lo, no W, behold, look, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what is he telling us? He's telling us that we've got a job. We've got a ministry. Now you Historically, you know, here's a little bit of ecclesiology, which is just a, um, a $2 word for uh, uh, teaching about the church. Uh, there are two divisions. You know, the army has divisions. The church has divisions. 
But the army has multiple divisions, but the church only has two in this sense. And one is the church triumphant, and the other is church, the church militant. Clearly, God has an agenda. What is he doing? He is restoring his reign over all the earth. When you look around, you may say, oh, it doesn't look like he's making any progress. Oh, au contraire, he is doing very well. And he is his timetable is moving exactly according to his plan. And you and I are all a part of it. Now, we're not all of it. But we are a part of it. And you and I stand at a rather unique point in history. Even though the church in, Rome, in, the, in the Roman Empire was powerful and some awesome things got done. We who are believers in the United States and for the most part in the Western world. Christians here in the U.S. have a, a uniquely, a historically unique uh, situation. And what does that, what, what situation is that? We have dual citizenship. Dual citizenship. Like many people who immigrate here. When my youngest daughter immigrated here from Russia. She was not required to surrender her Russian citizenship. In fact, she had a Zagran passport. Uh, you know, they have two passports over there. One cedula. That's actually Spanish, sorry, one that for moving around in the country and another one that allows them to go out of the country and come back in. That would function the way our passport would. All right. And when we flew back to Russia after about a year for her to visit, we went, even though she had an American passport, I told her to go over and get in the citizen line and use her Zagran to get back in. And we were, you know, shuffling up, going through all this kind of stuff. And she, as a citizen, just breezed right on through. If she wanted to immigrate back to, she'd have to get her Zagran renewed, but she could through the embassy. She could go back to Russia tonight. And not go through immigration. She could get a job. She could get an apartment. She could buy a car. She could do all of those things easily and without a whole bunch of paperwork because she is a citizen. We are citizens of heaven and that gives us rights. It gives us privileges. It gives us responsibility. We, the, 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 the church in heaven is called the church triumphant. The church on earth is called the church militant because we're still in the battle. They're in heaven. They're called the church triumphant because they are no longer citizens of this world. And so, you know, and, and that's important because only in Chicago do dead people vote. And Pittsburgh. And Los Angeles. Well, anyway, they no longer have a dual. They, they, you know, they aren't supposed to be voting. All right. I remember the first time I went overseas. You know, I mean, I'd never even flown on a commercial aircraft until I joined the army. That was my very first, my very first experience. And so, you know, I mean, I flew. You know, uh, I, I flew down to Houston and picked up the car I wrecked. Drove it home. This was when I was on leave before going to Germany. And then I flew up to St. Louis and I flew to, uh, uh, I'd flown back and forth from Boston a couple of times because I was an AIT. Then I got on uh, a, a tube, or a tube, it was a Boeing 707. And if you, how many of you remember those? Four engines and almost enough room to sit four people side by side with a teeny little aisle in the middle. And if you were on the stretch version of it, it looked like it was 300 yards from the back to the front. And smoking was allowed on those airplanes back in those days. You know, so those of us who didn't just endured. And you know, I, I remember when I got off of the, well, first of all, when they sent me to Massachusetts, it was a culture shock from Oklahoma. Then they sent me to Germany. And while Germany is, of course, a Western company, uh, country, and there's a lot of 
a lot of similar things to our culture, there were big differences. Things that were strange to me, cultural things that were strange to me. And it was more than just the language. If you've ever been to South America or to the Caribbean, you know what I'm saying when you are, you find yourself in a culture that is very, very different. And that's, you know, we are now strangers to in the world into which you and I were physically born. This is not the nation into which I was born. It has transformed. It has gotten stranger. All right. And it's getting stranger by the day. But still within that, I have a responsibility both as a citizen of this nation as well as being a citizen of heaven. Granted, citizenship to in heaven takes first priority. Over and above, far and away. That's where our loyalties are. But we, you know, I want you to know what we are seeing today in our culture is not your garden variety youthful rebellion. That was pretty much what we saw in the 60s. Right. I'm not saying that was good and I'm not saying that was harmless, but because the rebellion of the 60s moved into our education system and putrefied. And now look where we are. This paganism that's around us, our president just declared a day of transgender awareness. Dude, we watch the news. We're aware. All right. The paganism we see around us is a full-on rejection of the God of Scripture. A full-on rejection of His truth. We're going to get more to that in the weeks to come and how we function within that. Postmodernism, which is the dominant philosophy in our education system and has been for many, many years, uh, has not just taken root, it is now bearing bitter fruit. Postmodernism says question everything, reject authority, you can make your own reality, live your own truth. You know, that'll go real well until you lay hold of a, until you lay hold of a, or, or take a knife and stick it in a, a, a socket, an electrical socket. Your truth will not save you. You jump out of an airplane without a parachute, your truth will not save you. There is immutable truth. There are laws. And just because you don't see spiritual laws does not mean they do not exist. Um, in fact, it has gone from being merely rebellious to being lawless. Lawlessness is sin on steroids. They are even now rejecting what our, in the uh, Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers called natural law. And they're throwing morality and truth and true justice in the trash can. The political and social and economic impact of this on our nation and the West in general is nothing short of catastrophic and we ain't seen nothing yet. This darkness has invaded our government through the left, the political left, and that which is the scripture uh, calls evil is exalted and celebrated. And that which the scripture calls good is castigated, lampooned, and outlawed, canceled. Making leftist-controlled cities an absolute hellhole from which people are escaping. Just drive around Kansas City area and take a look at all of the fur and license plates you're seeing. I mean... People are moving in in abundance. Like I said last week, when did I move to Dallas and somebody forgot to tell me? I mean, sometimes being out on I-70 is just like being on LBJ or R.L. Thornton there in Dallas where you're moving, but you're not getting anywhere, <laughs> so to speak. And the misery that this philosophy is 
inflicting is very, very real. That's why it's important that we take a step back and look at it. Oh, come on, pastor. That's let's leave politics out of this. Let's just preach the gospel. The problem with that attitude is that politics is having an extremely outsized influence and impact on everybody's life. And in Luke chapter three, verses 16 through 20. I want you to listen to this. You know, I'm pretty much aware that I've pretty much run everybody off that I was able to run off. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, I realize that. And we've been holding station, it seems like. We've been training. We've been doing things for a long time. But I, what I said earlier today, I believe with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, and all of my strength. And that is even already, even since the first of this year, remember the first of this year, I told you things are going to be dramatically different by the time we get to the end of this year. Already we've seen those changes begin. And these things that these people think that they've got under control, they do not. And in fact, they don't even really know what's going on. All right. Coming back to John the Baptist. John answered and said to them, this is Luke 3.16. As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now listen to the way he describes the Lord. His winter, the Lord Jesus, his winnowing fork, winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's not a threat. It's a promise. It's a fact. But when, you know, wait a minute. No, so with many other exhortations, after telling them about the fire, he preached what? What does that say? He preached what to them? The gospel. That is part of the gospel. The gospel isn't airy fairies, pie in the sky, and the sweet by and by, rainbow bright and star sprinkles. The gospel is the truth about light and darkness, good and evil, life and death. He goes on to say, uh, let's see. So, with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him, everybody understand that Herod was one of the kings, was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done. Okay, I want you to think about this. Well, let's look at that. Don't just blow over that. John the Baptist spoke to power. He reprimanded Herod because of his adulterous marriage. And what does it say? Because of all the wicked things he had done. So there was a litany of things where John the Baptist got up and told the people and Herod, this is wrong. You're heading for judgment. This is not right. You're headed for trouble. Repent. Repent. Change directions. And when he was reprimanded, he reprimanded, or Herod was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And because of the wicked things, all the wicked things that Herod had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. That nobody would ever accuse John the Baptist of preaching a touchy-feely message. The scripture doesn't record anything about Herod's infidelity but that. And to show you what, how that immorality in high places will cost. Herod was previously married to um, a woman named Phasaelus. Who was the daughter of Eratos, who was the king of Nabataea, which was adjacent. 
Nabatea was headquartered in Petra, which was not quite even 200 miles away to the south and to the east in current Jordan and stretched ancient Nabatea, stretched all the way up into the Damascus area. And Herod had married Phasaelus, uh, Eratos' uh, uh, daughter. And when Phasaelus found out that Herod was planning on divorcing her because of the affair he was having with Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, she fled to Nabatea. And Eratos, incensed at the insult of his daughter, invaded Galilee, or, uh, Gilead and thrashed Herod's army and was moving for the kill when the Romans came in and said, stop where you are. And that's the only thing that halted him. Saints, wars get started over stuff exactly like that. In fact, the Romans decided they wanted to set Eratos in his place and they were going to send the Syrian legion down to take care of it. And somewhere around the 67 AD and they stopped at Jerusalem to get a cold drink coming down from Syria. And that's when news that the emperor had died reached them. And so that operation did not progress. All right. Immorality and wickedness in high places impacts everyone. In Isaiah chapter 60 and verses 1 and the first part of 2, we all know it. I've preached it many times. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep, I like King James Version, gross darkness, the peoples. Amen? We know that. But most disciple Christians know that verse. But if you want to know what that darkness looked like, you have to back up to Isaiah 59. We'll begin reading there with verse 3. And I want you to, you will be amazed to see that there is nothing new under the sun. He's rebuking his people for their, their apostasy. He's rebuking them for the way they are sacrificing their children, the way they are worshiping the Asherah, the way they are. And believe me, Asherah was an offshoot of uh, Inanna or Aphrodite. And so this stuff with transgenderism you see today is rooted directly in that. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. How many? Innocent human beings have we sacrificed in this nation on the altar of convenience. We will get to that at some length. I'm not, you know, because you've got to, you got to know in your heart of hearts what that is and why it's wrong. You have, you have, with your lips, you have spoken falsehood and your tongue mutters wickedness. You know, the blood of the innocents. I think about that. <laughs> I think about the New York legislature applauding when they passed the law that said that that made it legal to murder a child after it was born. Applauding at that. And a group down in Texas this last Christmas, they did Christmas candles, a pro-abortion group. And you can find it on the Web. You can find pictures of it where it's got a unicorn on there. And above the unicorn and below the unicorn, it says abortions are magical. I'm telling you, saints, we've reached the point. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody unsaved is a son of disobedience. And we'll get to that, you know. And so you got to come back and hear the whole thing. A lot of people that we look at aren't enemies. They're broken. They're broken. Not everybody is, is an enemy. Everybody say amen. It goes up. It goes up. You have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters Wickedness. Literally, the word mutters there is the same word used concerning uh, uh, Joshua over in Joshua 1 to meditate. 
It means exactly what Paul said over in Romans 1.30. You are inventors of evil. You're thinking up new ways to deviate. You are conceiving mischief and bringing forth iniquity. Let's keep going here. No one sues righteously. Or pleads honestly. Have we or have we not seen our legal system weaponized against righteousness? Have we or have we not seen people who have been dragged into court because they were walking in their, their, their biblical morality, not wanting to uh, celebrate something that is clearly unscriptural? I'm thinking that Colorado thing that's still going on. Listen to this. They trust in confusion and speak lies. Literally, what that means, trusting in confusion, quite literally means they are confident that the chaos which they are bringing and creating will bring them what they want. And that is absolute power. No good crisis should be allowed to go to waste. Amen. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave, and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs, he who swallows their propaganda, dies. And from that which is crushed, a snake springs forth. In other words, even when you try to stomp it out. It multiplies. Wow. How many, of you, how many of you think this is very applicable today? Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are the works of iniquity. An act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. And their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, devastation, and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked and whoever treads on them does not know peace. That was verses 3 through 8. Let's skip down to verse 13. Transgressing and denying Yahweh, rejecting the God of the Bible, turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. Maybe you remember what it says over in Second uh, Corinthians, Second Timothy chapter three. I believe it's verse thirteen. Evil men and spin doctors will go from worse to worse. Pastor, are we going to spend much time? More time in this passage of scripture. It's really depressing me. <laughs> We're almost done. It goes on to say justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far away. Justice is turned back. You know the only thing standing between us and real catastrophe lately has been our court system. And we have a president who is naming as many activist leftists to the federal bench as he possibly can. Elect, you know, Obama was right. Elections have consequences. So they're blocking uprightness. They're blocking goodness in every way they can. For truth has stumbled in the street. And uprightness cannot enter. Oh, look at verse 15. Yes, truth is lacking. And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. What does that mean? Truth is lacking. And he who makes up his or her mind not to do evil paints a target on his or her back. Does any of this sound familiar? Of course, all of it does. Truly, there is nothing new under the sun. You and I have been called for just this day. You and I have been prepared for just this day. You and I 
have been strengthened and we have been empowered for just this day. What the timing of God is in the middle of it, I cannot tell you. I just know that we are very close to some major things happening. And where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And I can tell you this, and I will come back to this. I don't have this in my notes, but there is no extra charge. I love it here. I really do. I mean, I do. You know, they say that a church sometimes takes on the pa uh, a pastor's um, uh, uh, personality a little bit. And so we are a church of characters. <laughs> After three and a half years of backbreaking, horrific, fatal drought which came off of the lips of Elijah the prophet, who said, it will not rain again except by my word. And then God hid him from Ahab. He hid him from Israel. He hid him from Jezebel. It's always tickled me that he went down to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, whose king is at Baal, or was at Baal, who was Jezebel's father. At Baal, his Baal is in his very name. All right. And here, right under the enemy's nose, is the man of God who is being fed and protected and watched over until the day came when God said, Go up and meet Ahab. That day is coming and soon. When God says we're gonna, he's going to face off in a major way with the darkness that's operative in our government. Amen. You're going to see a whole lot more stuff uncovered. You're going to see the adder's eggs. You're going to see the spider stuff. You're going to see it all. And people are going to be gobsmacked. But here's my point. I digress again. Up there. So, you know, remember Elijah met Obadiah, Obadiah on the, and said, you go tell Ahab to meet me at Carmel. And they had that really funny conversation that I won't repeat here. And so Ahab met him at Carmel. And what was the first thing out of Ahab's mouth? Is it you, O troubler of Israel? Do you understand that the sons of disobedience believe that the church is the problem? That Christians are the problem. We have seen a violent outbreak of that very thing here within the last two weeks. Believe that the church is the problem. In fact, this particular group was about to have a thing in D.C. They called Day of Vengeance. That, the very title of it tells you what you need to know. But did you know that the, multi, the, the majority of our population here has not bought into this stuff? Did you know that the majority of the people in this nation are not woke? Now, you say, how does that matter? It matters. Because we go up to Carmel, Sherman set the Wayback Machine for Carmel. <laughs> Some of you know what that means. <laughs> so, Mr. Peabody, uh, when you know, they stand there on Carmel and there's this huge crowd of people that came out because they heard that Eliyahu was going to make a public appearance. The first time he'd been seen in 42 months. And they had seen his poster in every post office in all of Israel. And Ahab had been looking for him. The Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps were turning every place inside out looking for this renegade prophet who was an enemy of the state. And so what's the first thing that he says? Is it you, O troubler of Israel? And he says, you. And that's exactly what John the Baptist, who of course was in the spirit and the power of Elijah, Looks at Ahab and says, you and your wife, your worship of Baal has, is the trouble. You are the enemy. And all of the people are standing there. There's this huge crowd of people standing there. And so Elijah preaches to the people. And he said, if Baal is Lord or is God, serve him. 
If Yahweh is God, and his name is used in the text, serve him. And they answered him not a word. Not because they were Baal worshipers, but because of the government. They had so persecuted the Yahwists, as they call it in theological writing, the people who worship Yahweh. Remember what Obadiah had told Elijah. He said, was it not told you that when uh, Jezebel was martyring all of the sons of the prophets, the preachers, that I hid a hundred of them in caves by fifties and fed them bread and water? Was it not told you I did this? I'm on your side, Elijah. And so there had been such pressure. There had been such governmental and societal pressure. And that is exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing the elitists. We're seeing the mainstream media. We're seeing uh, uh, these people who are just, and they're, they're hollering at it. They're hollering it. And they're hollering it. Making people believe that the whole world is going that way. But they are not. And they answered him not a word. They just stood there. We don't know what to do exactly. And so the fire fell. And once the fire fell, all the people fell on their faces and literally said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said, take these 450 prophets of the Asherah, the 400 prophets of Baal, or the other way around, you know, take them down there. Don't let one of them leave alive. And they gladly did his bidding. I am not saying that something like that is going to happen again or should. I'm just saying that suddenly Elijah went from being a lone voice to having a whole multitude of allies. We must be careful to remember that those people are not our enemies. And it is our job to see to it that they see the fire and they are able, given a chance to respond. Everybody say amen. As I said, no extra charge for that. And I just ruined it. I was going to say that in a week or two, but I'll probably say it again. And when I do, everybody go, oh, that's good. I haven't thought about it like that. John the Baptist was not afraid to reprimand Herod. To speak of the coming judgment and ferocity of God's zeal. And we have responsibility to our heaven, heavenly citizenship. To our role as royal priests and holy ones. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14 says. Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness you are blessed. Do not fear their what? Intimidation. Tell me that we're not seeing that today. That's what all the cancel culture is about. It's about intimidation. Do not fear their intimidation. Don't even be troubled by it. You and I, for the people who say, let's just stay out of politics. We do not live. Well, they might say the ancient church wasn't political. That was Rome. Those people did not. You and I live in the United States of America where we are citizens and we have a franchise. We have a vote. We have the right, at least for now, of free speech. Whether Google believes that or not, we have the right of, I told my wife the other day, she said, well, Google it. And I said, I don't use Google. She said, why not? I said, particularly on a subject like this, they're going to steer you away from what you really want to know. She said, well, what do you use? I said, I use Dogpile or DuckDuckGo. Dogpile doesn't sound clean, but moving ahead. <laughs> now, you got it. You, uh, see, but the thing about it, dogpile doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean poop. When I was a kid, I don't think they do this anymore. It just goes showing how ignorant we were. We'd be, you know, seven or eight or nine of us together like this, and somebody would go, Dogpile on Kevin! And somebody would knock me down, and everybody would lie on me. Or whoever named, that was a dog pile. Okay. And so you've got all these search engines and everything, you know, that's, that's what dog, dog pile means. All right. Also, they don't track you for now. 
We do not live in Rome. We live in the United States of America. As it currently stands, we still have the right to vote. We still have the right to, to speak up and say that is wrong. We have the right to reprimand our government. We have the right to reprimand uh, respectfully. If the president of the United States walked in that door, I would not say, hey, Jerkowitz. No, he would be Mr. President. He would, we would have to, we would, we would, you know, even though we, even though we disagree, we will respectfully disagree, but we will vehemently disagree. Intimidation is just trying to shut us up. Amen. The Declaration of Independence says government, not our government, the term government, derives its power from the consent of the governed. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of stuff going on to which I do not consent. And in the, here in the United States, we have that franchise. We are not just citizens of heaven. We're citizens down here too. We have rights and privileges and responsibilities down here too. And we share responsibility for the government we install. There's a scary thought. The pressure in the days to come. Human, human, human nature has not changed. And that is there are people who are hungry for power and all they want is control. And they'll do whatever it takes to stay in power and to maintain their control. Luke chapter 21 and verse 25. If our magicians would come. Because they do magic. Amen. In the positive sense. That's always a good sign. It means he's getting to the end. Think so, do you? <laughs> Are you getting anything out of this? This is pretty straightforward, and it's going to be the next two or three weeks. Well, next week we're going to talk about the resurrection, and that's, you know, we're, we're, we're taking a week off. But uh, we'll be back to this because it's important. Luke 21 and 25, speaking of the last days, Jesus says this, and you've heard this times without number if you're part, you know, maybe somebody watching by web, you have not been exposed to this. Maybe you are, you are the brand new to the webcast where Pastor Wildman is doing his thing. But that's okay. That's what everybody thought of John the Baptist. They thought he was a wild man. There will be signs. Luke 21, 25. There will be, New American Standard, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. Did you see that the Aurora Borealis was actually visible from Florida? Last week, because of the, that solar thing on the hmm, signs in the sun and moon and stars. Hmm. And on the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity, bewilderment, at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Now, you've heard me say this so many times. The roaring of the sea and waves is biblical speak for populations of people who are restive. They are in turmoil. They are rioting. They are revolting against the government. Now, back up. Perplexity. The governments aren't going to know what to do. They're going to be, they're going to, they're, they're going to be as blank as that little thing in the cartoons. Next, well, anyway. And it says dismay among nations. Why the New American Standard translates that way is beyond me because the word means oppress. It is used in ancient Greek literature in exactly that way. Because it is the word that means to press forcefully from the outside to attempt to hold something together. Used in this context, Jesus is warning us that governments are going to become increasingly oppressive in order to try to maintain their order and their control. Have you ever tried to squeeze jello? Have you ever tried to nail it to a tree? It is a fool's errand. And all of their efforts will be, you know, in fact, they brought the chaos because they wanted it. And now they're losing control of it. 
They have sown the wind and they're reaping a whooping. The whirlwind. If you can't get excited about this, you need to go to Pizza Ranch immediately after. It's right over here. Dismay. Pressure. Oppression. Isaiah, com coming back to that perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Isaiah 57 and 20. I love Isaiah. He's my favorite prophet. Although I also have an affinity for Ezekiel. And Jeremiah is pretty cool too. And Zechariah. And Haggai. You know, okay, all of them. Yeah, you're right. But Isaiah, Yeshyahu, he saw well into the future. But the wicked, coming back to the roaring of the sea and the waste, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. Are we seeing that? Absolutely. I have no illusions about this. Don't expect evil to just roll over and go away even when the fire falls. Remember what? Remember, after the fire fell, 850 of the false prophets were killed. What did Jezebel do? She didn't say, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. No, she is one of the sons of disobedience who has had her heart seared by the hypocrisy of liars. And she sends a note to uh, Elijah saying, I'm going to take your head off. Freaked him out. New Living Translation version. Now we just read, put, uh, Susan, if you put up the one we just read, Isaiah 57 and 20. The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. And let me give it to you from the New Living Translation. Same exact verse. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. I didn't know all that was in there. It is. Our culture continues, as our culture continues to depart from objective reality. That's part of the problem with postmodernism is that it sees something that's real. It sees something that's dangerous and says, I don't like that, so it's not really there. We're seeing it politically. We're seeing it culturally. We're seeing it in laws passed in various places. We're going to defund the police. Well, where do you think that's going? We are departing from objective reality naturally, socially, politically, and in every way imaginable. We, as believers, are told to speak the truth in love. We are not to curse those who oppose us and hate us. Because there is that large group in the middle who needs to see that there is love on one side. Firm love. But love. Versus the hatred. That's on the other. And just because people say you're a hater. Because you don't approve of their behavior. And God doesn't approve of their behavior. Don't let that keep you from loving them. If they slap you on the face. Don't. Don't quit loving them. They're broken. Are you with me? We are to declare the truth in no uncertain terms. We are not to be cowed into silence by threats and by shaming. We need to be mindful of Proverbs 25, 26 from the English Standard Version. This is like a muddied spring or a polluted, the Hebrew word means ruined, fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. We will not give way before the wicked. We will not back down. We will not give up. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in D.C. Are you with me? Greater is he who is in us than he that is in Brussels. 
greater is he who is in us than anything. Are you with me? We must remember who is ultimately going to finish this war. Everybody understand that this war is already technically over? When Jesus came out of that grave, it was done. And we've got to keep remembering that. Even in the face of all of the things we, we, we see going on. And let me tell you something. I know there's a group of people out there to believe this and God bless them. I love them. But the fact is you and I in the church are not going to take this thing over. God is going to do it. He, we are not going to, you know, we have a part to play, but we are not going to take it all over. But I promise you, he to whom we belong will and is. This is going to be, it's already been an awesome year. And it's going to get awesomer. I made up a word. If Paul can do it, I can do it. He was the leaster of all the saints. That wasn't even a word until he used it. What a day to be alive. And to be a holy one. A citizen of heaven. Have you got something? Have you, okay. She had her, she's down reading her Bible. Got her finger on it and everything. I thought, oh, she's got something to share. Oh, well. Let's all stand. Are you blessed? Are you encouraged? How many of you say, well, you know, it's nice to know this. Isn't all weird, that all this weirdness is just the normal weirdness when people run away from God. Those of you watching by web, if you do not know Jesus of Nazareth, we talked about it. There is exclusivity. You know, people can rail against that and they can get upset about it and all that kind of stuff. But it does not change God's mind. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the only door. He also said that the way to destruction is wide, and many there are that travel by it, but the way to life is narrow. Why? Because it's only as wide as he is. I want to encourage you, if you are not a Christian, first of all, I think it's a miracle you found this webcast. But maybe you're a Christian and you know people who aren't. And we have a tendency to think, oh, it'll be okay. It won't. It won't be okay. It won't be okay in the next couple, three years. And it won't be okay in eternity. We have a responsibility to share Jesus with the people around us whom we know are not saved. Not born again. We don't have to be obnoxious about it. We don't have to be uh, angry. In fact, that won't work. But there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And if you want to be born again, if you want to come out of, from under the boot of, and the oppression of the God of this world and come into the kingdom of, of God's, the, uh, God's son, you have but to call on his name in faith believing. This isn't a formula. It isn't a magic potion. It is a statement of faith where you say with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and that God has raised him from the dead. And then you say, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and be my savior. When done from the heart, the scripture says clearly that you will pass from death into life. And it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done or how horrible you, a person you have been up to this point. Scripture says he will in no way turn, in no wise turn away those who come to him. Christian, there are people, if you are just a casual Christian, you're stern that this is not going to be a good year for you. In fact, the Lord warned us as a congregation 20 years ago. God said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind and I don't want to be one of those. We're in the midst of the acceleration. Has the fire fallen? No. The answer to that is it has not. Not yet. But it will he has promised it he has said so and he is preparing us for exactly that get in get in get in don't stay on the periphery don't stay on the edges don't stay at the very edge get in the middle where jesus is get in church get in uh get get in fellowship put your hand to it because God has awesome things 
for which he desires and in which he desires to use you. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.